All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this series on your kingdom. We thank you working through this proof based on who you are and what you desire. I pray that you would give us discernment and hearts that are ever eager to learn from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot this quote last time, and it's basically just Van Til summarizing the view, the common view of Leibniz's position. He says, nor was he, when he decided to create the world, limited, this is, he's talking about God, limited to a certain number of choices so that, as Leibniz says, this is the best possible world under the circumstances. God was free to create and free as to what to create. He could create anything that was in accord with his nature. So that's that disconnect. Leibniz, I think, was onto something, but he disconnected the possibilities from God's nature and also God's desires for what he would do. All right. So let's continue on then. We're going to move through the proof a little quicker than last time. I think it's good to follow the flow of it. A lot of questions that came up, or that even came up uh, after Sunday school, I think you'll see are answered as we, move, as we move through. And then if you have questions, please write them down, hold on to them, and we'll try to get through them as well. All right. The first axiom, as we talked through, was God's reason for choosing the events in a possible world is equivalent to his reason for creating that world. All right, the next one was all events in a possible world involve a vessel of grace, a vessel of wrath, or a non-human object. So a vessel of grace would be a human being predestined for God's favor. So whether that is a human prior to the fall in a possible world, where there is no fall, right, would still have God's favor. Adam had God's favor even prior to the fall. Uh, and in a fallen world, we also have God's favor through redemption as well. So favor is covering both of those there. Now, a vessel of wrath would be a human being not predestined for God's favor. Now, you say, well, there'd be a possible world where there are no vessels of wrath. Yes, you're right. There are some possible worlds where there are no vessels of wrath, which is fine. Okay, so we're just saying of all the possible worlds, there will be uh, three, three buckets. Some buckets may be empty, okay, but there are only three. And then the third one is a non-human object. It's just a material or immaterial object not bearing God's image. All right, so now we get to the third axiom. This is, you say, why are we, why are we talking about the second axiom? Well, the third one is important here because we're talking about that so we need to attach God's glory to each event in the world. Well, how do we know that's true? Is God glorified in every event in, a world, in the world? Would you say yes? Yes, but how would we, how would we support that? Right? We can say that, but some people would reject it. So how do we do that? Well, the way we do it is we pick out the events in certain buckets. So we have vessels of grace, vessels of wrath, and non-human objects. In scripture, we see then that when God mentions his glory, it's tied to these three things. Okay, it's never, it's never just on two and not on the third. It's on all of them. Now notice though then, if God's reason for choosing a possible world is the same as why he would choose these events, and his reason for these events is his glory, then his reason for the world is not independent of what? His glory. Now, you may say, well, I would have accepted that, Mr. Kaus. I would have accepted that a week ago. You should have just moved on from, from there. But some people don't. Okay? Some people don't accept this. And so we need to 
I want to go deep enough where they, they can't have an objection. All right, so the next, oh yeah, so what, what I mean by God glorifies himself, it's that God is displaying his nature. So think about even in the ontological trinity when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are communicating right from all eternity, which is always happening, what is God talking about with himself? Or think about that. Are, they, are, are, are the three persons of the Trinity learning as they communicate to each other? Are they learning? No, of course not. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Right? Himself, God's nature, right? They're talking about, talk, talking about God. All right, so the Father talks with the Son. Son talks back to the Father. Father and Son talk to the Holy Spirit. And they're all talking about God. And, and, that, and that's beyond our understanding of how this would even work. And, and that's okay. That's how it's supposed, supposed to be. But notice, though, it's his nature that's being displayed as he does that. That's what they're talking about. So God is glorified both in the ontological trinity and also as God relates to the world, what we call the economic trinity. All right, so if the three then, if A1 through A3 are correct, if they're true, what follows then is that God's reason for creating a possible world is not independent of his desire to be glorified in that world. So what we infer then is God's reason for any possible world that God would desire to create. We are concluding that his reason for creating that world, whatever that world is, his reason for creating that world is not independent of his glory, of his desire to be glorified. You guys following me with that? I probably could have just stated the conclusion and you would have been fine with it. But some people aren't, so that, but I don't think they can, they can wiggle out of it the four assumptions we have up here. All right. Now, these four then prove what we call the first theorem. Prove the theorem, then we're going to build off of, off of that theorem. All right. Now, the next one. This is one of my favorite inferences in this. All right. So, if God created a possible world, W, such that W did not best glorify himself. So, let's say God created a world that didn't best glorify himself. You guys with me? Okay, there's this world, and God's going to create it, and it doesn't best glorify. There's some other world that better glorifies him. Okay, but he's going to create this one that has lesser glory. Let's just say hypothetically he does that. <laughs> Notice then, God's reason for creating that world would have to be either arbitrary, he has no good reason for it, or independent of his glory. Right? If there's another one that's more glorious, then his reason for creating the one that's less glorious cannot be because of his glory. Does that make sense? Okay, so he either has no good reason for what he's doing, or his reason is not because of his glory. But notice though, God always has a good reason for what he's doing. He's never arbitrary, so we can deny that. And also, we, just, we, just, we just had just proven in theorem one that God's reason is not independent of his glory. So taken together through modus tollens, we can then conclude God would not create a possible world, W, such that W did not best glorify himself. God would never create a world that doesn't best glorify himself. 
Jeremiah? We're going to get to that. This is the next one. Yes. Okay. So the, the objection then is maybe they're all, they all best glorify him, right? right? Which is what you're bringing up. Very good. Good question, which we'll get to right, right after this. All right. So we've established, so this is important though. We've established though, he must choose based on his own nature and his desires, the one that best glorifies himself. He will not choose one that's lesser in glory. You say, well, that's restricting God. This is based off of God's desires, okay, based off of what he desires to do. All right. So then off of these two assumptions and theorem one, we then infer theorem two. This is just showing you a map of how the argument goes, what builds off of what. All right. Now, God would not create a possible world. This is theorem two we just, we just proved. God would not create a possible world, W, such that W did not best glorify himself. God did create our world, right? God created our world. This is our next assumption. Well, what can we conclude then? God would never create a world that doesn't best glorify himself. He created our world, so therefore what about our world? Our world best glorifies God. Yes! This is so beautiful. It's just great. I love this. All right. Now, what's our world? The reality in which all material or immaterial objects have existence. So that's the world of mathematics. That's the world of um, Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth, like all fictional world, like everything. Okay, that's, re that's our world, all of reality. All right, our world best glorifies God. Gosh, we're rolling now. Things are just falling in line. So we got to theorem three, and now I believe this is to Jeremiah's Point. All right, here we go. This is for you, Jeremiah. Next assumption. If there were two possible worlds, so just take two possible worlds, any two, grab them, and let's say that they both best glorified God. Okay, these two best glorify God, because your objection was, or just your thought was, what if they all best glorify God, right? There's no distinction in what glorifies them better or worse. Okay. So grab two, call them A and B or W1, W2, whatever you want to call them, these two objects. And let's say they best glorify God. Notice then, God's reason for creating one over the other, or vice versa, would have to be either arbitrary or independent of his glory. If they equally glorify God, then how would he pick one over the other? It would either have to be he has no good reason or... It's not because of his glory. It's independent of his glory. But we have just shown, my friends, well, one, that God cannot be arbitrary. That's obvious. And we also had proven in our first theorem that God's reason for creating a possible world is not independent of his desire to be glorified in that world. So again, through modus tollens, we can infer there are not two possible worlds that best glorify God. There cannot be. So God must choose, based on his desires and his own nature, the world that best glorifies himself. And because of his nature and his, his desires, there cannot be two that best glorify him. Jeremiah.
was just unknown to us. No, no, hold on, hold on. Oh, sure, it, it, it could be, uh, so. God could have a reason that we just don't know Well, where would it fit then? It's an so, it, so it can't be arbitrary, right? Okay, so this unknown reason, is it related to his glory? Hold on. Just wait, 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 stop, stop, hold on, hold on. This unknown reason that you're hypothesizing, is it related to his glory? It either has to be or it's not. And I'm saying it can't be independent of it. It could be that God would be glorified in both. Stop, stop. So is this unknown hypothesized reason independent of his glory? It's a yes or no. There is no third option. It either is or it isn't. If it isn't, we've already refuted that. If it is, then he has, then, then one, they can't be, he can't, he would not have a good reason then for one over the other. Well, that's assuming that, that God's glory is the only reason. But we've just established that earlier. That is the principal reason why he makes decisions. It is the principal reason. It's the over, that's what we did in the first theorem. That's why we, see, that's why we worked through this. We didn't just skip to theorem one. Yes, which is his glory. So when, when you go throughout scripture, this is not really a disputed thing in, in the history of theology. Like God's reason for, for honoring his name, his name being honored and defended and his uh, majesty and the rest all across creation is because of his glory. And we, we established that at the beginning of this with what Van Til was saying in Voss. This is not really a disputed point. God's reason for vessels of grace, vessels of wrath, and for non-human objects is his glory, all, always. So if you would disagree with that, we'd have to go to scripture. I'd have to just show you what it says on these things. So I don't think there is one where it's like, well, glory is part of it, but there's this other reason that's more important. We just don't have that. Oh yeah, where, sure. Where God, is, where God is then not fully glorified because it's only concentrating on sure. an aspect of God's glory. Is that kind of what you're? Uh, I'm, I'm supposing something like there could be an infinite number of attributes that God has which we don't know, and it would be possible for God to create a world of other attributes than what He has revealed. Yes, and then, but then you end up with a divided God, which is what John is not doing. So all these possible worlds are based off of who God is, right? And it, and it displays his nature in different ways. We'd have to agree that a world that's unfallen displays God's nature in a different way than a world that is fallen and redeemed, right? We would, would we all agree with that? Okay, so my point is, if you take all these possible worlds, they all glorify God in some way, in many ways differently than others, Okay, so I'm not, distinct, I'm not denying the distinction there. The point is, there has to be one that's best. I, I don't know that there has to be one that's best. No, there has to be. We just, we, that's what we're going through right now. There has to be. If there are two that are equally best, then his reason for one over the other has to be arbitrary or independent of his glory. It's not independent of his glory, and it's not... So however you, want, however you want to describe it, Jeremiah, you have 
two worlds, and they both glorify God, if they equally glorify God, there's no distinction amongst, like, as far as, like, this is preferable for my glory or not, okay? If there is no distinction, then what's his reason for one over the other? You say, well, it's mysterious. Well, no, I don't think it is, because it's either there is no reason, which we reject, or it's not tied to his glory, which we're saying is, is false. It has to be tied to his glory. Or one is a complete revelation of his glory, and the other one is partial. Yeah, which correct. No, but, but I'm saying that's consistent with what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, but I don't, think, I don't think he's saying that. I think, I think he's trying to posit some other explanation that's not tied to his, like there's a third reason here. So if, if both are equally glorious and he picks one over the other, there's a third explanation for why he would do that. And I'm saying there is no third. What's that? Oh, sure. When we go through logical theorems, we are, we are admitting, we are falling in our reason, mm-hmm. trying to piece things together, to try to come up with the explanation that satisfies one fallen creature. And I think what Jeremiah is saying is the idea, we, this is an imperfect thing. Not, you're not, when you say that... What's imperfect? No, I'm saying, that's a good, good point. So I'm saying the story. I'm talking about the story as a whole. I'm not saying that the grass swaying better floor, glorify God, glorifies God than Christ on the cross. Okay, I'm not talking about all the particulars. I'm saying you take the story together. God's reason for the story is his same reason for why he did all the events. So when God picks stories, he picks them as a whole. I don't think he goes to the cross and then works his way backwards. I don't think he starts at the beginning and works his way to the cross. I think it's everything together. So he takes the story, and his purposes are clear in every event in the story at once. The swaying of the grass is not independent of his desires for Christ on the cross and being resurrected. And when we get into, well, isn't that more glorious? Now we're in a different kind of conversation. It's more of just like when God would display his presence in the tabernacle differently than he would through creation. Right? There's a difference in glory going on there, but both are being, he's being glorified in both things there. Now we're just getting into the particulars of how they, how they differ. But I'm looking at all these, I'm always looking at this though as uh, whole stories together. I'm not looking at the particular details. And that was within the first, the first theorem. And that if you take, if you t- uh, the first axiom was that God's reason for all the events taken together is his same reason for the whole story. That was our first assumption. I think that's true. God's purpose is in one thing. It's the same purpose for the whole thing. Everything is directed towards his one purpose or his one decree for for the world. All right, so let's finish this then. And then you can continue on with your your objections. Or or your praises, whatever. (laughs) Whatever whatever Whatever's in your heart. All right, so then we've inferred then from... Uh, axiom six and eight, and then theorem one, theorem four. And the last one then to go through is, so there are not two possible worlds that best glorify God. Our world best glorifies God. And now here's our last assumption. So given any possible world, 
if that world, if that, uh, so let's, given any possible world W, if W is the only possible world that best, glorify God, best glorifies God, then W is the best possible world. So the world that best glorifies God is the best possible world. I'm assuming that's true. Please don't object. <laughs> if you object, just write it down. We'll get to it. All right, so I think the world that best glorifies God and is reasonable and intuitively obvious, it's the best one. All right, so then we can infer then that our world is the best possible world. Notice it's not just this present moment or it's not just right after Adam and Eve fell. It's not just these moments, it's the whole thing. It's from the start of creation to the infinite future that never ends. This whole story as one is his best possible story. All right, so that completes it. Now I want to go through a couple of, a couple of things with this. Van Til talks about this, but I don't think he meant it in the same way that I'm using it, but he, but he was onto something here, but he never ran with it. He says, the Christian notion of wisdom depends upon the notion of the self-contained God. Because of his self-contained and necessary knowledge, he can, when he chooses, create a universe and create this universe just as he wants to create it. This is, therefore, the best, po best, the best of possible worlds. So he was onto something here, but he, was, but he was so consumed, which most theologians have been since Leibniz, with the Leibnizian way of looking at this that he never actually ran it to, I think, where it, where it leads. All right. So now I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this in a much quicker way. So write this down if you wanna, this is the way I presented it to Vern Poitras in my class. When he brought up Leibniz and all this stuff and I said, well, let's just, let's just back up and let me just state it, the, the argument fairly clearly and quickly. God only desires to write the best stories. There can only be one best story. God wrote our story. Therefore, our story is the best story. Now, you may be thinking, well, why don't you just start with that? Why, why not? Well, what if people have objections, like we've heard in the last couple of Sunday schools, right? These, this only works if you've worked through the details of it. If you haven't gotten to the, the bottom of it, then anyone who brings up objections, you're basically powerless to, to actually talk through it. Just like in apologetics, people want... They want the quick Van Til explanation. Like the, where's Van, what's Van Til's argument in very simple terms? It's like, that's great, and I can give you those. I can give you those for a five-year-old, for a 10-year-old, and then for like an 18-year-old. I can give you those different variations. But if you get anyone with half a brain who asks reasonable questions, you will be powerless to answer them if you don't have the more detailed version. So these things only work, these summaries and these uh, nice, clean presentations only work if you work through the detail, which we just did. All right, so notice though, and I wanna, I wanna get on this, or uh, hearken on this point because it does get to, I think this is missed in the history of theology. I think this point is missed. The story could have been different. The story could have been different. What do I mean by could here? Well, we mean the desire now. We're not just talking about that God had the ability 
to create other worlds. We're saying he, had, he could have had the desire to create some other world. That's what we mean here by could. And this shows up in Voss. He says, this is entirely free, talking about God's choice to create, since God could have just as well not decreed, which I agree with completely, or could have decreed differently. Right? Or he could have decreed differently, and I'm pushing back on that. I'm saying if you, if you tie it to his glory, which Voss has told us over and over again, his desire for creation, creation is his glory. Without a doubt, that is his principal reason for creating. So God could have desired another story, is what he's saying. Based on what? Because he just told us it's on his glory. God's decree is one and is oriented to one highest goal, the glorification of his name of himself. And that's consistent throughout the history of theology for the most part. And I think if you take that truth and you run it through logically, through assumptions that I think are fairly undeniable, we get to that uh, there aren't multiple worlds that God desires. He desires one, the best one, and that's the one that he told. Yeah, Tyler. Maybe I missed something. Sure. I'm fully on board this argument, but how does it tie into post-mill? Oh, so, so what this is showing is that um, the post-mill world is the best one. So that, but if I'm wrong about post-mill, this still, this still, this still applies. Yes, it's independent of post-mill. Okay. Correct. But it is, it, I think it's a nice piggybacking, though, off of it, is that, so this world that I think is getting better over time, getting more gospel-saturated, it's the best story that God could tell. Like it's, it's an added, it's, it's added richness. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yep. This argument is independent. It's independent of the eschatological positions you take, which, remember, there are only two positions you can take. Sorry, you're only, yeah, Arnie. At first, I was thinking that I didn't understand what Jeremiah was saying, and I still don't. Um, and Pastorella just the word complete to help bridge an apparent gap. But the problem always is we speak the common language, so words mean different things to each of us. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you're a Wittgenstein guy, but words and meanings of words is where I'm the, the, behind my question. So, when I was a kid, and I heard the word best. Mm -hmm. But you know, in the advertising world, you can never say better than, because then, then there's legal ramifications. But you can say it's the best. Is best for whom? Best for what situation? Best mm -hmm. for. And it's all this description on why it's the best. So, so depending on your understanding of the word best, I think people are raising eyebrows a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I am using. Yeah. Oh. Sure. I, I I am using best though to use your distinction. I am using best for better than. Right. So I th I know sometimes we're not allowed to legally because it'd be hard to defend in court. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. So I'm using it. Yeah, I'm using it as better than. And we all know that. Yeah, yeah, and we, if yes, I would agree with that. Okay. When you go to other worlds, sorry to not make you It's okay. When you go to other worlds, you know, good there, how, how do you reconcile the story that you wrote to angels? Same story? No, it's all, it's all part of the one story. From the angel's point of view. No, it's, it's God's purpose for everything, whether the angels or the grass or my faith. But we don't know how that story played out. No, but it's all one story, I'm saying. Like, so what's happening in heaven right now is part of the story as it is what's happening. There was a story going on in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) It's still the same story. Yeah, correct. We know it doesn't exist, but if it did, if it did, yes. If there are unicorns running around Mars that we don't know of, yes, it'd be part of the story. So just off the back of the book, um, again, just in case of this day, we're not, ne- we're not saying then that God's glory necessarily has to be displayed to everyone equally. Oh, correct. Right. Correct. So it's the best one to display his glory God understands it perfectly. Correct. We understand it imperfectly. Correct. So we're not then, if Arnie's correct, then it means that the display is not an equal, well, it's not equal in the terms that everyone sees it and understands Yeah, correct. Our, epist- our, our understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, we know this will always be incomplete, not because of Girdle, but... Our understanding. Our understanding. Yeah, but we're gonna. I think we're gonna spend eternity. Yeah, correct. Yeah, stories. Stories written. We're just. We're just acting it out. Lord of the Rings has been written. Now we're just going through it. So the thing is, is that as the story progresses, we know more. Yeah. Doesn't change. Oh, the story does not change. Correct. Yeah, and and there'll be stuff that's concealed that will always be concealed. We will never know everything. And that's the beauty of, the, of eternity. By eternity now, I'm using about the, the future state of glory. I'm not talking about where God dwells, which is, we, we will never enter into that, that eternity, which is another study in itself. We actually use that term two different ways, uh, where God dwells and also the future unending state. Uh, but that will go on forever, and we will always be learning more about God and his glory in that. Do you have a question? Which one? Which one? Oh, okay. Yes, let me. Sorry, all these, all these animations you got to get through. Mm-hmm. The question comes in when you get to your simplified version. I'm wondering if this is a typo, because can you can you in this world in this even logical syllogism have a world where God desires to write the best plural 
No, I think we showed that there cannot be two. Right, but you said God only desires to write the best stories. Yeah, so God only desires to write the best stories. There can only be one best story. So the first one I'm saying, because we haven't established two yet. No, I'm just saying, shouldn't that, shouldn't that logically flow say God only desires to write the best story? There can only be one best story. Well, no, because I think, I think I'd already be assuming two is true in one then. No, but I haven't proven, I haven't proven two yet, though. So that'd be circular reasoning. So I'm saying it's ambiguous in one. It's supposed to be. And then we show that there cannot be two in the next one. Oh, sure. The order doesn't, the order doesn't matter. But I, I'm just summarizing what we worked through logically before. And what we were through logically before is a certain order that you'd have to, um, it's unknown, right? Because we hadn't dealt with, well, could there be more than one? And we hadn't dealt with, does he have to pick the best one by better than? Right? We, didn't, we, we dealt with that first, and then we had to deal with, well, could there be two? Which we dealt with as well. Uh, if, I'm wrong about, if I'm wrong about this and say the best story, Go ahead and use it that way, that's fine, okay? This is just the summary version. Like this is, if someone were to dispute this, I would go to the more detailed explanation. All right, so let me just uh, conclude this for a second. Okay, so, so in a sense then, this is the only possible story. This is the only possible story. We, we get caught up so much in apologetics with objections based on, well, God could have done it differently. And why didn't he? Why did he let Adam and Eve fall, huh? Wouldn't that be better? This comes up all the time in apologetics. And most of the time, it, it's atheists think they have Christians in a corner. It's like, well, gosh, look at the world. Uh, it's ravaged with sin and evil and all these things. And could, couldn't God have just lessened our, our, our plight by one evil? Wouldn't that be better? Of course it would. And they, right there, so now they're accusing doc, God, trying to put God in the dock. But notice, I, uh, this all goes away. This is very easy to just now refute. So could God create a story with no sin? Yes, he could. Yes, he could. He definitely could. Now they think they have you, okay? Now you're in a corner. Say, well, why didn't he then? It's an inferior story. That's why. Why didn't he? Because it's not as good of a story. Well, I disagree. Well, I know that, right? We, we already knew that. We already know you disagree. Well, I don't even believe in this God. Exactly, and that's the issue, sir, right? That's what we should be talking about, not this, you know, objection that's not really a good objection. It is, it is an inferior story. He told the best one. Let me conclude with this point and then give a couple questions. All right, take this home with you. I find this very comforting. Maybe the most comforting truth I could, I could land on. If we're in despair, we're in hard times, we often question why God did the things that he did, right? And if you have in your mind that there's some better story that he chose not to create, I think it could create a problem in your theology. If you're in a bad spot, which we typically go through in life, and you think there are some better stories, like my situation could have been different, would have been better, and that's a better story for the world, 
Why didn't God write it that way? He could have, and he could have desired it, I guess. Right? I think it really could mess up your theology of, of uh, how you view God's desires. But God only desires to tell one story, and in that story, you are his child. What is more comforting in life than that? What you are going through right now, God chose from eternity as part of his best story. And his purposes, his glory is being done in that, in that circumstance. So praise God, right? Now, do we understand that? Well, of course not, right? And we, we probably never will to the extent that we would desire. I'm not sure we will understand Job's situation completely in heaven or new heavens and new earth and we're in glory. I still think that's going to be a difficult thing to wreck. I'm not, I'm not sure we're going to be able to even wrap our minds around it even after we ask God forever questions about it. Or he teaches us as we learn, you know, work in the new heavens and the, in the new earth. And we talk to Job, right, and get his perspective on it. Some of these things are really hard. But we should rest, step back and rest. This is the best story. God chose it, and I'm part of it. Praise God. And just sing and, and move on. You're 100% right, but as you counsel and shepherd Christians, Trinitarian Christians, faithful Trinitarian Christians, and they deal with significant tragedies, tragedies, hardships, It really does go back to the statement, what is the God in the alignment Even everybody in this room wants their enemy machine God. We, 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 we know the catechism. Thank God for all his providences, good and bad. Please, God, you have any machine lessons. I think this is what's right. And I think that's okay to pray that way, mm-hmm. if you're honest, because if we're helpless, we're dependent upon God. But some some hardships really rattle believers. Um, and none of our most parents pray, you know, that their kids don't go through hardships and be safe and harm and injury and all that. But then oftentimes we don't strengthen them to face physical challenges and therefore then they, they question their faith in the God who they always believe in. But during this hardship, then they, they question if he's really in charge of the best story for their life. Yeah. So I'm agreeing with what you're saying, and it really hits the road. Rubber hits, hits the road when you're dealing with Christians going through hardships. It's not, you know, you use the example of just pagans or somebody who doesn't believe in the story. And I, I'm saying there's Christians who believe the story. Mm-hmm. They intellectually assent to everything you're saying, but when they're punched in the nose, or God allows them to be punched in the nose, or God mm-hmm. in the nose, mm-hmm. it, it, it rattles. Yeah. And please accept this in that exhortations aren't always followed by the person who gives them. Right? But, the, but it doesn't lessen the exhortation. We, we need to make sure we understand. Like, parents hopefully give godly advice to their children. They may not always follow it, but that doesn't undo the advice. Okay? We cannot, we should, we should disconnect the truth from the vessel who delivers it. That also should be grace that we give to our pastors, including our pastor, every Sunday. All right. Uh, last one. Yes.
It's inevitable once he desires to create. Is it inevitable that you since he No. No, because that, that choice is free entirely. And that's probably the biggest hiccup people have here is they think, well, now I'm eliminating God's freedom, which I'm not at all. He didn't have to create the best story because he didn't have to create any story. That was entirely free on his part. And how do I understand that? I don't. I don't know how an unchanging God from eternity then chose to create. I don't understand that. It's not a contradiction. It's just way beyond my understanding. And that's okay. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for our church. We thank you for uh, poking us to get up in the morning and to come together and think through these deep things of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that we would be lifted up and resting in who you are and the story that you are telling in our lives, and that we would not work against each other, but with each other to build your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.